If you'd like to know more about our ministry here at The Mission, visit us online at www.themissionnorthshore.org. Thanks for listening. God bless. Morning, church. How is everybody? Yay? All right. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 2. Merry Christmas Eve Eve, right? The Eve of the Eve. Right, we're talking kind of Christmas this morning as we turn to Matthew chapter 2, a very familiar Christmas text. But one of the challenges, and um, I'll mention this and then we'll, we'll pray. One of the challenges um, for a preacher at Christmas is that everybody's already really, really familiar with the story, right? We all kind of know all of the details of the journey to Bethlehem and no room at the end, and the angels and the shepherds, and Jesus, you know, being born in a stable and, and laid in a manger, and all of the things that are involved in the Christmas story. I mean, think about it this term. How many Christmas sermons do you think have been preached over 2,000 years? Like bazillions of them, right? So I thought this morning what we would do is take a little bit of a different approach yet still using a very familiar Christmas text. And so I want to share with you something that we observe when we go to Israel and we travel around the land of Israel, something that we observe there, something that we talk about. We just came back from a trip there. We'll be going again in 2020, of course. And this is something that we go and we see, we talk about, but it's also something that challenges where our priorities are something that challenges our attachment to this world, that challenges what we do with our talents and our time and our treasure and how we spend our life. And the question that we ask ourselves as we go around Israel and observe certain things is whose kingdom am I most invested in? Is my life more about building my kingdom or God's kingdom? Where am I most invested? Where am I most devoted? And so with that said, let's pray. Lord, we ask this morning that you speak to us. This really is a message for your people, for your church. We would examine our little lives and see if we're most consumed with the little empires that we're building Or are we most consumed with your kingdom? We ask you to speak and correct and do the things that only you can do by the power of your spirit. Come and have your way in this room, Lord. We pray this together. Pray it in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Matthew chapter 1 ends by telling us of the perfect fulfillment of the Word of God in that Mary gave birth to a son and they named him Jesus. Matthew chapter 2 opens up with the visit from the Magi, these wise men or astrologer-type guys from the east, that area of Mesopotamia, Babylonia, that area. And these guys came following the star. And that's where we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. And I want you to notice as we read this, how many kings are mentioned here. Verse 1 says this, Matthew 2, 1. Now, 
after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, there's one king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born what? King of the Jews. For we saw his star in the east and we've come to worship him. When Herod, who is the king, heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is for this is what is written by the prophet. So right there in those first two verses of Matthew chapter 2, we have a clash, don't we, between two kings. It starts by saying, Jesus was born in the days of Herod the king, and then these Magi guys show up and they go, but where's the new king? Where's this king that has been born king of the Jews? So now we got two kings. And what I want to kind of open up for us this morning is that these two different kings represent two completely different approaches to life. Two completely different agendas and pursuits of life. And each of these two kings have placed a different emphasis on what is important in life. So what we have here in Matthew 2 is two kings, two kingdoms that couldn't be any more the opposite. And they represent for us this morning two extremes of the heart. We'll begin with Herod, because it says that Herod was the king. And Herod was all about the building of his kingdom. Herod was all about self and self-preservation. A lot of what we see when we go to Israel and we're traveling around the land are things that Herod built. Herod was a phenomenal builder, a very ambitious builder. He built these massive uh, building projects there. One of kind of the centerpieces of when we go and we see the different things around Israel is there in Jerusalem is the Temple Mount. It's actually kind of the political centerpiece of the world. Everything goes back to the Temple Mount. We've got a picture of what it would have looked like um, during the time of Jesus. That's where the temple stood at the time of Jesus. But what Herod did is he came and he built this giant square that capped and completely concealed the top of Mount Moriah. And underneath this giant square is all of these archways that hold up this platform. He is an amazing builder. That's just one of the things that he built, but it's kind of one of the main ones. And we go up there, there's the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque that sits up there today. But Herod built that giant 36-acre compound, that giant caps an entire mountain. But mostly what Herod built was fortified palaces in strategic locations along escape routes. See, Herod was always worried about preserving his life and his kingdom. So he would build these palace fortresses in places that he could escape to. 
one of them just south of Jerusalem, just south of here. If, if an invading army came from the north and he'd had to head south, he could go to Herodium. This is what Herodium would have looked like at that day. And it's this massive building structure. What he did was he built this cylinder fortress up, and then he took a nearby hill, all the dirt from it, moved it over to his fortress, and built a mountain around it. That's a man-made mountain around his fortress. So if any armies came up there, he, he has these giant round boulders, and he would roll them down on the armies there. So he could escape if he had to get out of Jerusalem in a big hurry just to the south. If he needed to go further south, he would go to, or we can show you a picture of what it looks like today. That's what it would have looked like then. That's what Herodium looks like today. It's all in ruins for the most part. Then if he needed to go further south, he would go to Masada. Masada is this massive fortress that is built on top of a standalone mountain way out in the middle of the desert. And all the way around it are just sheer cliffs on every side. And built into them are these massive storehouses for grain and food and giant cisterns for water. Herod could escape there and hold up there for years while he waited on an army to come and rescue him from Rome if he needed to. It was all about preserving his life. That was to the south. We have a picture of what it looks like today. Again, it's all in ruins today. If he needed to go east, he would go to Machaerus. This is in modern-day Jordan, another fortress temple. You can see what it looks like today. It's also in ruins. Yeah, it's just all kind of flattened now. That's the location where John the Baptist was beheaded. That's if he needed to go east. If he needed to go west, he built this gigantic city and harbor called Caesarea Maritima. It's a massive seaport. And he could go to the west and escape from here and get to Rome, get another army and come back and restore his kingdom if he needed to so he could escape by boat from Caesarea Maritima. And you can see what it looks like today also in ruins. And so Herod was all about preserving his life, his kingdom. He was consumed with himself, right? And so for us, that represents one way that we might approach life. We might approach it like King Herod approaches life. Jesus, on the other hand, was the other king mentioned in Matthew chapter 2. And Jesus had a completely different program, didn't he? completely different values. Jesus was completely others-centered. In fact, he said of himself, the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then Jesus called any who were to be a part of his kingdom to do the same thing. It says that Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. He says, whoever wishes to save his life must lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Meaning, whoever's tr trying to preserve their little kingdom, they're, they're trying to build their kingdom and it's all about their deal ultimately that will be lost. Ultimately, nobody can take it with them. But if you're building God's kingdom, it will endure. And then he says, 
For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Meaning, what good is it for any one of us to build our own little worldly empires? And even if we got everything that we wanted in this world, what good will that be on the day that our life is required of? And so Jesus taught them to his disciples that his kingdom was different and the values of his kingdom are different than the values of this world. It says that he called his disciples to himself in Mark chapter 10 and he said to them, you know that those who are recognized as the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord over the people and the great men exercise authority over them. What he's saying is the bosses of the world, right? Whoever's in charge and holds authority, whether they're a governor or a president or the boss of something, they lord over people and they expect the people will serve them. But then he says in verse 43, but it is not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall become what? A servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be what? A slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. We recognize that Jesus' entire earthly life was serving and sacrifice. And then he calls his disciples to the same thing. And Paul picks up on this in Philippians chapter 2, and he tells us to have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Have the same attitude, the same mentality in yourself that is also in Christ Jesus, that although he existed in the form of God, which means he has every privilege and every right in the world as the creator of everything, even though he is God, He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He did not insert his rights and privileges, but what does it say? He emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of man. That's what Christmas is, isn't it? Being made in the likeness of man. Are you guys with me? And being found in the appearance of a man, Christmas again, he humbled himself becoming obedient even to the point of death on the cross. And so what we have here at the beginning of Matthew chapter 2 is two kings and two kingdoms, right? Herod's kingdom was built on getting all that Herod could get. Jesus' kingdom was built on giving everything that he had. Herod's was focused on this life. Jesus' was focused on eternal life. Herod built massive palaces that he lived in. Jesus was born in a stable and said of himself, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And the question, though, is which one of these kingdoms endures? When we look at the two options of kingdoms that we could be building and investing in today, Which one of them lasts? Which one of them is worthy of an investment? 
Herod built massive structures, mind-blowing feats of architecture. But guess what? Herod's dead and gone. His kingdom is no more. And when we travel around Israel, guess what we find? All his stuff is in ruins. The rocks are falling down. And his greatest legacy is what? That he killed a bunch of babies in Bethlehem trying to preserve his kingdom. On the other hand, the Bible tells us that Jesus was also a builder. It says that he was a carpenter, probably more likely a stonemason. They didn't build a lot with wood back in that day. Yet we don't know of a single building there that he worked on. But look at what he left behind. Because when Jesus said, I will build, he said, I will build my church in Matthew chapter 16. And what did he build? A kingdom of billions of souls that have been saved over the past 2,000 years and still going. Peter picked up on this and he said in 1 Peter 2.5, that you also, as living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer a spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Paul picked up on it in Ephesians 2, and he said, having been built on the foundation of the apostle and prophet, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple into the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Jesus is also a builder, isn't he? And the lesson for us from this is that like Herod's kingdom, all the kingdoms of this world, including the little kingdoms that you and I build, they're all going to collapse one day. They're all going to fail. They're all going to fade away. But Jesus' kingdom continues because it is eternal. And so the question is, for you and I, whose kingdom are you and I right now most concerned with? Whose kingdom are you and I spending the most of our time and our resources and our effort to build? A temporal kingdom for ourselves? or never failing, never fading, eternal kingdom of God. We've been doing this Advent together, uh, the little Advent book. Hopefully most of you guys got that and they're going through it. We've been going through it with our family some. And and it says this on December 9th of that uh, little Advent devotional. It says, Jesus left his lofty place to rescue glory thieves who insert themselves into his place and make it all about them. He says in 2 Corinthians 5.15, Paul is quite clear about the reason for the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus when he says, and then he quotes 2 Corinthians 5.15, he, Jesus, died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. He goes on to say, No human being has ever successfully escaped the draw of sin that Paul points out here. Sin draws us away from God's glory towards our glory. 
Sin pulls us away from God's kingdom and produces in us an obsessive allegiance to our own little kingdom of one. Sin makes us less concerned about what God wants and more concerned about what we want. Sin causes us to be more excited about our own personal plans than we are about the things that God has planned for us. Sin makes us more focused on our feelings than we are on God's will. And then he says, here's what sin does. It causes each of us to place ourselves in the center of our own little worlds and make life all about us. Can anybody testify? Right? If we're honest, we all know that draw, don't we? We all know that selfishness is an issue for every single one of us. And Jesus had a lot to say about the things that this world tries to draw us into and the things of this world and the draw to it. At the very least, he points out that it'll be a distraction. At the very worst, it'll become an obsession. Jesus is always trying throughout the gospel to get our hearts and our minds focused above this world to value less the temporal things of this world and to value more the things of heaven, to live life less attached to the things of this world and more in tune to the things of God. And Jesus' emphasis on this point is really evident in a couple of ways. One, in how many times he brings it up throughout the Gospels. He talks more about money and possessions than he does about heaven and hell put together. And also included into that emphasis, we can look at the large portion of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus dedicates to this subject. In Matthew chapter 6, he begins by saying in verse 19, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But rather, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth or rust can destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. The point that he's making is that the living for the things of this world is always a futile effort. It's always a futile pursuit because anything that is not of eternal value will ultimately be destroyed, won't it? It'll rot, it'll rust, someone else will take it, you can't take it with you, and it's all going to burn anyway. That was the lesson that was trying to be taught to the gentleman in Luke chapter 12 that we often refer to as bigger barns, right? The guy has a wonderful year of farming. He has more crops now, so there he has more money and more possessions than he's ever had in his life. He begins to look at all of his stuff and he decides he's got a gigantic problem. He's got more stuff than he has place to put it. And so he decides, instead of being generous, what I'll do is I'll just build bigger barns. Then I'll be able to store all of my stuff. I'll be able to take ease and comfort from here on out. Except he ran into a problem, didn't he? The Lord said, tonight your soul will be required of you. And then whose stuff will all this junk be? Right? That's the lesson that Jesus is teaching us. Continuing on there in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 21, he says, Where your treasure is, there your heart 
will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, right? And what he's pointing to is the fact that these two things, treasure and heart, are attached and they're inseparable, right? In fact, our heart will reveal where our treasure is. What your heart is most attached to, loves the most, and pursues the most, guess what? That's your treasure. And because these two things, heart and treasure, are in the same place, they are either both heavenly or they are both earthly. And so then we have to ask ourselves, don't we? Where is my heart and treasure? Is my treasure heavenly, therefore my heart is attached to heavenly things? Or is my treasure earthly, and therefore my heart is attached to earthly things? Jesus, when he was speaking of the way that things are supposed to be, he says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. And in his excitement, he hid it again, and he sold everything that he owned to get enough money to buy the field. And the point of that little, tiny little parable thing there is that Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is such a precious treasure that nothing else should matter that that should take number one position and precedence in our life. And if everything else fade away, that's the thing that I should hold on to above anything else. And we ought to be willing to ditch anything for the kingdom. He continues there in the Sermon on the Mount in verse 24, and he says that no one can serve two masters, for he will either hate one and love the other, he'll be devoted to one and despise the other, You cannot serve both God and wealth. Meaning, we cannot be completely devoted to both God's kingdom and our kingdom, right? We can't be all in in the building of God's kingdom and at the same time be all in in the building of our kingdom. One of them will take first place in our lives. We have to ask the question for ourselves individually, Which one is taking first place at this moment? Jesus continued there in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 25, by saying, Don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink, nor about your body. What you're going to put on it is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. He goes into this kind of illustration. He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns. Yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you much? Aren't you worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to your life? You see, Jesus here. He's in this whole section. He's trying to constantly turn our focus off of ourselves, off of the things of this world, and he's trying to get our hearts attached to him and the things of heaven. And then he culminates the whole thing in verse 33 by saying this, therefore, seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. That's what we're talking about, right? There's an option between two kingdoms, the selfish kingdom of self and the the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God, 
His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. First means first in priority, first in importance. Before anything else, before everything else, we are to live for His kingdom. You see, this is a message for the church. It's important that you and I acknowledge that we have a draw to the things of this world so that you and I can check our priorities. This is a message for religious people. Is this noise? Pink paper from the sky? I've seen like three of those now. The way we know this is in Luke chapter 4, Jesus was just beginning his earthly ministry there. And what he was doing is he was traveling around all over and he was preaching in different synagogues. And in Luke chapter 4, Jesus had had a really long day of ministry in a particular town in Galilee. And so the next morning he gets up early and he goes away to have quiet time and prayer by himself, which was a very common practice of Jesus. We read it in multiple places. We should model it with our lives. And it says in Luke chapter 4 and verse 42 that when day came, Jesus left and he went to a secluded place. But then the crowds were searching for him and they came to him and they tried to keep him from going away from them. But he said to them, I must preach what? I think you guys are falling asleep. The kingdom. I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also. I was sent for this purpose. So he kept on preaching where? In the synagogues of Judea. So Jesus is preaching the kingdom and he's preaching it in the synagogues. Jesus is preaching the kingdom to already religious people that are already doing religious stuff. These are churchy kind of people. So what Jesus is not preaching is that there is a kingdom. They already know that. That's why they're sitting in a synagogue. Rather, what Jesus is preaching are the values of the kingdom. What it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. And here's the point, guys. We can sit in church and know all sorts of things about the kingdom and never really live for the kingdom. And it goes along with what we've been talking about in previous weeks, that this world is not our home. We've got to drive that into our heart. This world is our mission field, but it's not our home. Jesus changed our home address. That's what it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. It says, For He rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and He transferred us. We had an address transfer. He transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. We've been transferred to the kingdom. And so if we now live in God's kingdom, if we are partakers and and residents of God's kingdom, there ought to be a change in us, change in our priorities, change in our passions, a change in our mission. The mission changed from a mission about us and our little kingdoms now to the mission of Christ, a change in our values, 
what is valuable to the king ought to be now valuable to us who belong to his kingdom. And I thought about it in these terms. God has already taken care of the hard stuff, hasn't he? Death is defeated. Eternal security is in Christ. And so therefore, I'm free now to live for his kingdom. I don't need to build my little kingdom because I belong to a much better kingdom. And so the simple application for us is whose kingdom are you and I most invested in building? My little sad kingdom or Christ's kingdom? And we need to recognize that this is a choice that we have to make all day, every day, with every decision. Which kingdom am I living for with this decision? Whose glory am I most invested in with this choice? It's a willingness to put it all on the table. I am not promoting gambling, but to use a gambling term, you got to be all in. To come and say, everything is yours. Career, time, comfort, where I live, how I live, every piece of my life. You bring it to God and you say, God, this is all yours. Take all that I am and all that I have and use it for your kingdom. And if we're living for his kingdom, it always means the destruction of our own little empire. Right? Building his kingdom always means that we're living for him and not our own little deal. And so what that means for each one of us is we got to get off the throne. And we have to exalt God as the king and the authority over our lives. Everything that we are, everything that we have, it is all yours. Let's pray to that end. It wasn't a very Christmassy message, was it? But I did use a Christmas story to get there. Lord, we remind ourselves again this morning that you are creator and we are created. You are and have always been eternal. We are created finite people. What you build will endure. The things that we value, things that we often have built up, the things that have, we build our lives around here, Lord, they're often the things that will rot and rust and be destroyed. So Lord, if our priorities are out of whack this morning, we ask that you would shift them for us. Lord, we wish that you would really uh, build into our hearts the, the kind of, just the picture of Herod with all the resources in the world and all that he was able to build and his kingdom is gone, he is gone, and everything's in ruins. Your kingdom endures and will always endure. And so, Lord, we ask 
that you stir in our hearts to make that number one in our lives. Let the things of this world take their proper place behind you. May we love you, exalt you, and follow you as the authority of our lives. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.